Welcome back to the Morning Brushback Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. I'm here joined remotely by my nemesis, Bobby Stevens. Bobby, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. And we have a great guest today. Bobby, who is our guest today? Our guest is Radio Rick. Would you call yourself Radio Personality? I'm going to call you Radio Personality. Sure. Former 670, the score, Radio Personality in Chicago. Uh, podcast host, I'm Fat Podcast and Basketball Camp. Uh, Rick Camp. Rick, Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. I can't, I can't say since I've been laid off that uh, I've been awake and showered and truly conscious this early, but hey, happy to be here. We are flattered. We're truly showered and honored and flowered. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't need to shower, but we appreciate that. I, I need, I don't know about you guys. I'm a morning shower person. I need the shower to help wake up and just kind of start thinking and just get out of the normal like morning doldrums. So that's an essential for me. I'm kind of like stare in bed and hate myself for a while and then start moving and then just feel really groggy. Uh, that's like my routine in, in a sense, just just like hatred for the world for like an hour. That's kind of where I go. But Dan's yeah. on the Dan's on the East Coast, so he's got an hour. He's got a jump start on us. It is 9.03 here. It's very exciting. Yeah, the, the whole time zone <laughs> thing. Um, but Rick is also an experienced podcaster as well. You've got the I'm Fat podcast, which is, is very funny. And I, I love your, uh, I'm, a, you know, we had my, my former business partner design our podcast logo, which I think logo and design is incredibly important for people just giving you a try. Yeah. And I love your logo. It's this burger. It's got like, I'm fat in it. It's, uh, it, it's, it's funny. Yeah. Um, one of, um, one of our, uh, listeners who's a friend of Jay, the guy I do the podcast with when we, uh, switched platforms, he made the logo for us and we saw it and we weren't sure what we were looking for, but we saw it and we were like, holy crap, that's it. That's yeah. exactly <laughs> what we need. Like that's the essence right there. Yeah. That's the, that's how you want to feel about a logo is you want to look at just like, look and be like, that's it. And sometimes mm-hmm. it can take a long time to get to that point, but sometimes it doesn't. And it's cool when it's just like, bingo, print it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So you got a nice talk- logo for the b- basketball camp too. Who oh, designed that one? That's, that's a-, a former score fantasy football expert winner, uh, Steven Johnson, actually, who's like kind of dabbled in some graphic design. And I was looking for a logo and, after you know getting badgered enough to actually start that podcast, which I'd been wanting to do for a while, but didn't quite know how I wanted to do it, and then hey, I got some extra time on my hands, so I might as well get this thing going. And he was uh, he was willing to help me out. I just kind of wanted it to look somewhat like a center court type design, with it having look like he actually was on a court. So he gave me the kind of like color palette I wanted, and I'm so bad with art. The fact I just wanted to like be able to dictate it to somebody and hope to God they understand what the hell I was talking about. And uh, he delivered big time, man. It was it's, I love it. Yeah, it's a good logo. So, Rick, how I mean, you've been in the radio industry for a long time and now you're I mean, you're, you're heavy in podcasting as well. But how do you feel about the space? I mean, you've seen this change a ton in, in your career. Mm-hmm. Tell me about radio versus podcasting. I over the last probably three years or so, I've really leaned towards as a listener enjoying the podcast space much better. Like if I look at my phone right now, the amount of podcasts that I have, like in Pocket Cast, that's the app that I use for listening purposes. Uh, 
I've got so many different podcasts and, and most of them are basketball related because I am a simpleton pretty much. It's I have very few like true interests and boy, basketball is the big one. So uh, basketball and food, two of my biggest things. So I, uh, I I've leaned towards liking the long form where you truly get have the leg room to tell stories and really break down like X's and O's if that's your thing or just being more of a storyteller based on who you're listening to it's much you can just cater it much more to what you want as opposed to radio where part of the the challenge of radio and part of the reason I still love radio from a being in the industry standpoint is you have to kind of fill both voids and I know what I like that stations are doing now that part of it's a bad thing is that you know radio revenue is down there's not as many commercials so you just straight have more time to maybe go long form and change the Mm -hmm. format or the sound of your of your show like lawrence holmes that i worked with for a long time his show if you really listen to it sounds closer to a podcast than it does a radio show the only thing that's really different is he resets in the middle of it because like with a podcast as I'm learning and I'm still working towards myself, you don't really have to reset as much in terms of who I am and who I'm speaking with and what the topic is because you chose to hit play. You saw yeah. the description. So in mm-hmm. theory, you have a good idea already. But yeah, I'm me, Dan Blewett, idiot. Yeah, you exactly. know this already. I don't have to reset and say, hey, thanks again for tuning in. I'm here with Rick Camp and Bobby Stevens, my nemesis. Uh, right. right. And and you guys are smarter than me in terms of having your actual names on your Zoom screen where <laughs> once again I'm a simpleton and I just have all lowercase and it's just my first name and my first and my initial. Like that's it's that's pretty funny, much it. Funny you mentioned that. One of our guests, and I won't mention him, but I hope he hears this. Um, you know, there's all those like different like all those different fake names that you would use if you're like prank calling someone like Mo Lester or um Yeah. <laughs> he had his set at Drew Peacock and i <laughs> forgot to change it and so he's like hey i need you to edit i need you to cover that up and edit us so they're like obviously of course we'll do that yeah um but it's funny that you mentioned that because he didn't realize and he couldn't figure out how to change it once we were going so yeah i always not, the only time alone. the only time i ever think of it is when i'm already on a call and i'm looking at it i never think of it any other time to be like hey moron maybe you should change that nope it's not close me. it's better than it's better yeah, than uh, name it. it's better, better than drew, drew peacock yeah true yeah so you're talking about yeah you talked about lawrence holmes he does his own i think he does his own podcast um it's like seven of them i swear yeah right like (laughs) so so a little bit about radio how Mm -hmm. i guess working in radio for as long as you did you know what was your experience as far as dealing with some of these guests dealing with some of the you know have you been starstruck talking on the phone with some of these guys getting a you know getting some people Maybe some, you know, especially with the last dance on, I'm sure there's uh, people on radio are trying to get all these former bulls on, you know, have you been starstruck by any of the people you've gotten uh, on the radio on some of these radio shows? I'm trying to think back because it was more towards the beginning and it, it, I don't know, it might sound, I don't know how it sounds, but like once you're in it for a while, a lot of the starstruck aspect kind of goes away. Like I know the first time I spoke with Frank Thomas, when I called him, that was a big one because for me. Uh, growing up a White Sox fan, that was huge to get to speak to him, even if it was, you know, just the the basic interaction. Um, when I was first getting to meet some Bears players, like before I was full time, uh, the end, the last three years of the Doug and OB postgame show, 
uh, on 670 the score i was working with doug buffone who is you know legendary legendary guy and and ed obradovich two guys that maybe aren't in the innermost circle of like bears defenders all time but in that second layer they are absolutely right there and two guys that were really cool and just you know they treat you even though like who am i someone that had worked at the score like one year by the time i was working with them just interacting with those guys different guests that would come in studio kind of take away a lot of that i think the first time i met wani was kind of like that too uh, dave wanstead was another example <laughs> so of that because like big I remember, personality yeah i remember as a kid uh i don't remember how we got tickets but like with one of my baseball teams we got uh, tickets to a recording of the Dave Wanstead show. <laughs> and it was after I want to, oh, who were they playing? They blocked a field goal at the end of regulation to like, to win the game. And it, I don't, it wasn't the Packers one. I think it might've been like the dolphins or something. And I, I just remember going there and thinking it was so cool. You know, like be first time in, in front of a TV, being part of a TV audience and all that kind of stuff. So they're not like the biggest names in the world that really got me, but like it's ones with like personal connections for sure. And then just some guys that might be a little lesser, but you just realize how cool they are. Like Pat Manley has every reason in the world to be a jerk if he really wanted to. I mean, he, he played the most games in Bears history, long snapper for the Bears forever. If they were ever to put a long snapper in the Hall of Fame, he would be in consideration for that, you would have to assume. I mean, the long snapper award for the best long snapper in college is the Patrick Manley Award. He is one of the nicest guys, regardless of former athlete or not, that I have worked with in any capacity, and I love that dude. So part of what I liked about it is how it kind of stripped away some of that that gloss that all the you know celebrities have of just yeah they're still just kind of looking to be normal people just like us in every instance they can yeah right. i haven't seen the M- the michael jordan last dance thing it's on my list of stuff to watch because i don't actually watch much tv um did you have many any any or many experiences with michael jordan i'd obviously be well past his career but um where Not have you fallen mj have you watched his documentary Oh yeah, I watched I watched the last dance. Uh, I recorded a podcast last night with uh, Jack Silverstein, who's one of the best uh, Chicago sports historians out there. He's actually in the middle of writing a book on the Bulls dynasty, so he had some great insights. That'll be up uh, posting on Basketball Camp later today. Oh, awesome! And uh, so, but I I haven't interacted with him personally. Uh, but you know, the random, everyone says when news happens, you know, what the hell put a call into one of Jordan's people. So like you do, you do that and you just wait to hear the no, just to say you did it. But that's about as close as I've gotten. I mean, other people on those teams, um, I've had conversations with Will Purdue, who's, you know, been the victim of some Jordan abuse, but also just, I thought he was one of the more underrated people that gave some quotes in the last dance because, he wasn't there a lot, but like what they chose to use from him was like really perfect and succinct in what he was able to say. And I thought it worked really well. Hmm. Yeah, I've been uh, I've, I've been following. I watched I'm, I'm through episode nine, so I've got okay. the last one uh, to finish up. But I was just curious. How, how did you feel about it? How did you like do you like how it was done? Um, I had, you know, going into it, I had different expectations of what it actually was. Uh, mm-hmm. Surprisingly enough, I thought I was really expecting more more total team bowls and more 98 bowls. And I was getting you, you got everything, Jordan. I mean, it was everything Jordan back to 
you know, the infamous like that embellished story of him getting cut from the varsity team, which wasn't, you know, he just didn't make varsity as a sophomore, which everybody knows is like, okay, then he just played JV. Right. No big thing. And it's some major slight against his career, but uh, how'd you feel about how, how uh, I forget the director's name, Jason, um, Jason, something, how'd you feel about how he did? I thought at times they, they got stuck between do you do this on the 98 bowls for the people that were mostly there for it? Or do you also kind of do some of the Jordan stuff for the younger generation that doesn't really know as much or, or, and I feel like some of that got stuck in the, like I agree that a lot of the 98 stuff got lost in translation because this isn't my, I don't know how much of a spoiler alert this is for you, but just, you don't get any real, like Ron Harper and Luke Longley were starters on that team. Obviously they weren't the most important guys, but Ron Harper, the most he's mentioned is as Jordan's golf buddy. And as the guy that was pissed that he didn't get to guard Jordan for the, for the infamous game winner, a shot on Elo. Yeah. Like th- that's right. Ron Harper was a 19, five and five guy for a decade before he got to the bulls. People don't remember that. Cause it was with Cleveland and with the Clippers, like he, he was a real dude for a decade. And then just his importance to the switchability of that team was huge for the bulls. The fact that they were able to switch everything. I mean, it, it's even gets brought up now, mind you, it was a play that the bulls ended up losing on when, Reggie Miller went the two two-handed shove into the chest of Jordan for that game eight, game four winner in the Eastern Conference Finals. Reggie Miller said he knew they were going to switch, so he had Ron Harper on him to start. They knew they were going to switch, and Jordan was going to take him, and that was why he kind of took the route that he did on that play. But like Harper was huge, and then Luke Longley was the first Australian player ever in the NBA. And if you look into the fact Luke that Luke Longley, yeah, the, yeah if there was anybody that uh, was going to get crapped on, it was Luke Longley from that starting lineup, but he always took it. He never really got mad about anything. And then you hear stories from other Australian players that have made their way over how important Luke Longley was. I know on Facebook, Chris Ancy just put a post out not, not too long ago about the importance Luke Longley played in his career, being one of the other pioneers coming over from Australia. And think of how the MBL now plays a factor in the, in the NBA with the high schoolers, Luke Longley kind of started all that. So like, those are just a couple examples. I think the way in episode nine, they, they weave in and out of the Steve Kerr hitting that game winning shot. Also mixing in the backstory of how his father was murdered and how that kind of gives better context to what, uh, to the person Steve Kerr is and why he was perfect for those moments, why he was perfect for that team was done incredibly well. So it's almost frustrating for me as someone that knew a lot. I didn't get a whole lot of new stuff out of it. There were some stuff obviously that was newer, but those are the kind of things that might've gotten missed. But if you were just looking for nostalgia, woo bulls, learn about Jordan, if you didn't know that much, it's yeah. right there for you. Like I, let's not i'm not trying to make this sound like it was bad it was really good i'm gonna watch the whole thing again like there's no two ways about it i'm, I'm just going to but i was kind of hoping like you bobby that it was a little more balanced in terms of jordan to 98 stuff do we really need that much dream team i don't know if you just maybe right. if there was new footage of those those infamous monte carlo practices then maybe 
you put more of an emphasis on it, but there was nothing new that wasn't in the dream team doc that runs on NBA TV all the time. So that was probably my biggest thing, but there were, there was a ton of good too. Like the, I do love some of the ways they wove in and out of a lot of the, just like anecdotes. Like I think it was early in episode nine when you first see the Utah jazz and apparently Brian Russell, the first time he plays Jordan is smack talking him and Jordan mentions, well, I already knew this guy's scouting report and just how that played into it led perfectly to the final shot of his career with the bulls. The Russell is awful at staying on balance when he has to move laterally. Hmm. That seems to be fairly prescient as right. we got to the end of the middle of uh, episode 10. So I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm not going to say I didn't, but yeah, my expectations were a little different going in, but once I kind of realized what they were doing, you got Jordan, you use Jordan for everything you can. I just kind of sat back and enjoyed it. Yeah. I thought they undersold a lot of the guys on the team. Um, you know, they talk about like Tony Kukoc had a huge game and uh, I've game had seven be, of the Eastern game, conference finals against the right. Pacers. He had 21, they, I think. Had a huge game and and basically carried the team. And so, sorry, Dan, if, if Rick and I are reliving our uh, our youth Bulls fandom, <laughs> dude, we're podcasting. Just roll with it, all right? <laughs> right. I had a I had a Chicago Bulls pennant on my um in my room go. as a kid. So like I was a huge Bulls fan. I just was on the all the bandwagons, I guess, because I wasn't I was from the Maryland area. But but yeah, I just am not as deep um, as you guys. But continue. I you know the Luke Longley thing is interesting because you, know, you have two got two prominent players on the team that are from overseas or Australia and Croatia, mm-hmm. or I think Croatia for Tony yeah. Kukoc. And that wasn't a thing in the nineties or even any base. It's not even a thing necessarily now with there's a lot more overseas players, but it's not the, the NBA isn't flooded with them. You know, I was, I just wanted more. I wanted more that I didn't know. Uh, even the listening to the recaps before I had watched it all episodes mm-hmm. three and four, like, Oh, episode three and four about Rodman. And, and in my mind, I'm like, this is going to be freaking awesome. Like Dennis Rodman just unfiltered the worm for two hours. Wait, was and there I, ever a time when he is filtered? Like, well, does, does he exist in a filter? Let me, re- of- let me rephrase that. Un, you know, unseen footage of the worm, That's, which is there like, you go. I want to see like a half naked Carmen Electra in a Vegas club with Dennis Rodman going wild. And I felt like I didn't get any of that. I, d- I just got like. Yeah, oh, Dennis that. was. That's the content right there. That's yeah. the co- that's. I mean, you want to draw fans. That's what. And Madonna, like, give me give me a Madonna interview. Give me something. I mean, I know. Yeah, okay, he dyed his hair and like Dennis Rodman was a weird guy. He rode a motorcycle. Like we all knew that. I want to mm-hmm. see. I want to see him partying with like people you didn't know that hung out with Dennis Rodman. And I wanted more. Spe- I guess specificity. 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 I don't know. I'm not a. It's a hard I'm a, word. I'm an NI. I'm, a, I'm an NIU guy as well. So my nice. my grammar is not as top notch. But uh, I want. I just wanted more. Like I wanted more '98 yeah. Bulls. Well, the, I felt like I didn't get it. I think part of the the issue is, and anytime, uh, what's his first name? It's Clay Thompson's uncle was actually Michael Thompson's brother was the main guy in charge of getting the footage back in 98. So that was him. So whenever they wanted to reference that footage, he was the guy normally that uh, the production staff would call. That was part of the reason they were able to be so tight with Jordan is that Michael Thompson 
was one of Jordan's favorite players. Like Jordan almost wanted to uh, uh, change his spelling of his name to match Michael Thompson because he was such a big fan of his. So the fact that it was his brother kind of gave him an in. But the thing is, so much of it was just there the basketball or the to and from basketball there was you know there just wasn't that much of the off days necessarily like you got the practice the off day uh golf golfing where like ron harper and jordan are kind of like awkwardly sitting in the same on the same seat of a cart like you get a little bit of that but yeah like if we could have had video of jordan going to rodman's place to pick him up with Carmen Electra, like hiding in the back of the room. Yeah, that'd be great. But there's like, I'm sure Jordan's not thinking, Hey, let me call, let me call this dude and get a crew over here too. You know, or the other thing is the, that I would love if there was footage of, or just more detail on is the uh, end of year. Let's get together. Everybody just like either bring something that they wrote and just reads it or says something about somebody on the team. And then they burned everything that they wrote as just kind of like a, this, this was our, this was our last meeting. This is the last time we're all going to be here together. If there was Wait, a they, way they did that, that, they did that. Or you wish that existed. I wish that footage existed. Uh, they, oh. they, uh, they did that. The players, oh, that. the players mm. and the coaches did that, but that also could be something where they were just turned down because it was, you know, pointed out that they didn't they went everywhere they were allowed to there were certain very few instances where they said "Eh, just stay out of here i could see that being one of those but we never really got clarity if that was the instance or if they just straight like you know didn't know what was happening and the players and and coaches all just kept it to themselves but still it's it's totally worth the watch lord knows especially now when we're just dying for content or just anything new to watch because i don't know about you guys but I've kind of had my fill of watching old games. I thought I was going to have more of an appetite for it, but regardless of sport, I've just kind of hit my limit. I've watched basketball, football, baseball, a little bit of college football, and I just can't do it anymore, man. I've I've hit my limit. Yeah, and I was asked the other day about KBO. uh, Like, hey, have you watched any KBO games? I'm like, watching a KBO game to me feels like watching a junior college baseball game with – when I don't have a cat, like, cause you know, Bobby and I train, um, young baseball players. If I don't have a kid on a team, I'm not like just going to go watch junior college baseball. That's what right. KBO feels like to me. It's like, it's compl- a complete why bother moment. Like I don't really. And I think this goes back to the point of sports. We d- we're not hungry just to watch human beings swing a wooden bat at a, at a freaking ball. It's that's not really what we're looking for. We're looking for the community of it, the excitement of it, the, the, comparing my tribe to your tribe, like all those social aspects of sports, I think are what we really miss more. And it just happens to be baseball's time that like, if this was basketball season, people would miss basketball, obviously, but still for, I think the same overall overarching reason, which is Hmm. we have something to talk about. We have something to root about. I can jab you and my team, you know, destroyed you and came from behind and pulled out a tough, tough win. That's what we really look for. But like, like I could see, Korean players swing the bat and throw the ball, but I couldn't, I could not possibly care less about that. Yeah. I I have a hard time getting into it. I I tried, I watched one inning of it and I was mm -hmm. like, you know what? I'm good. I understand there might be some (laughs) great, but I like, it's funny. I treat that the way a lot of people treat the NBA in terms of if there's a, an epic bat flip or something, it'll be posted everywhere. 
I'll see yeah. it. A lot of people do that with like their NBA content now, or really a lot of sports content in general of just waiting for the highlights. And then, you know, maybe you get some of the extra context around it a little bit later if you can care for that. But yeah, that's why like as much as players might hate it, narratives matter. Mm-hmm. Narratives matter, maybe not in every single instance, but in a vast majority of instances, just for the sake of keeping people interested. I mean, especially with this Jordan doc, the, there were so many people that are either not basketball fans, either never were or just not anymore that were willing to watch that because of Jordan or because of Rodman, because they were you know bigger than basketball personalities weren't just because they were fans of the 90s Bulls. They were maybe in the Chicagoland area, and they were just so huge that you couldn't ignore them, that type of thing. So, And all that stuff matters. So when you're just seeing, like you mentioned, just guy performing a sport's actions, yeah. all right, fine. I'm just not going to choose it nine times out of ten. Yeah, for sure. Have have either of you watched the Beastie Boys um, documentary that was on Apple TV? I have not. No, no one. I no. have. I have not. I watched. I gotta be. I've gotta catch up on some music docs. I watched the Miles Davis one. That's mm. on Netflix. That one is pretty fantastic. I've got a couple others. Like I have a note in my phone of other ones that I want to see. I think the Beastie Boys is on there. Let me let me check this real quick. I liked it because I've I've been listening to their stuff more as an adult. I didn't really grow up with them. Like, mm-hmm. but I I there's such a. I don't think contrarian is the word, but they're three Jewish kids from New York and they made this crazy, funky, awesome music. Yeah. And it's like, who are you people? And just seeing them as, as grown men. And of course they lost one of the members of their band to cancer. Um, I think back in like 2011, but just like hearing their story and just like they're, they were very like raucous, especially when they came on the scene and then, you know, they, they matured as I think a lot of the, well, I think all of the artists do that hang around because if you don't, you just like get crushed by, you know, the the touring and the drugs and all that stuff. But um, hearing them grow up and just like seeing that, like, that's like a normal, like you are still like a normal kind of nerdy white dude. And you made this awesome, like, it, it's really funny because they, they feel at a place, you know, sometimes when you see a band and you're like, that's not who I imagined was playing that drum yep. set. They're a lot right. like that, but you can also see in their personality that they're, super just like i don't know it was really interesting for me to to see behind the curtain on, on those guys in particular so I, I enjoyed it for that i thought it was when it ended i was kind of like wait that that's the end that was it i that was kind of how i felt at the end but overall i i enjoyed it a little anticlimactic with the beastie boys uh, well i don't know how long it was well i mean you guys are talking about the mj thing and that's obviously on my list to watch like i I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated with Michael Jordan like everyone is. Like, I grew up watching him. Uh, but the uh, the BC Boys thing was only, like, maybe 90 minutes. And I don't know their whole history, but I felt like mm-hmm. there was – they talked a lot about their early days. And then they have so many albums. And they kind of, like, there's – I don't know. I feel like there's a big logical jump. Either you've seen the Kings of Leon documentary. It's maybe, like, seven or eight years old now. That was a know. similar one. Mm-hmm. If you know the Kings of Leon, they were like their dad was a pastor and they like drove around there. He was like, you know, like smacking people on the heads and like absolving yeah. and like get out demon. Like kind of, they're like holy roller family. And then suddenly they like they were the two sons, Caleb and I can't remember his other name. They were going around and like uh, singing on like Christian TV, TV uh, networks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they kind of got discovered. And essentially they got like, hey, you guys are going to be a band now. 
and they took like their cousin and this uh, maybe and one outsider like a friend and like okay you four are going to be a band and this like guy just like made them into the kings of leon is kind of how it was portrayed and so it's like oh that's really strange like how did you actually become good because they're really i think they're really good like they've they their music's changed a lot over the years but then it was like okay you guys just like became a band like manufactured and it's like well how, how did you actually become good and like there was like this huge logical leap from that to superstardom and i'm like yeah doesn't every band like play crummy venues in a crummy bus like forever and they have to get better at their instrument and like learn like where was all that part so right, that, i don't know that one thing that i would love to see and maybe it's like the sports transferring over to it or the fact like so when i initially went to niu i was a music education major so a lot of that stuff is, is really interesting to me so like i would love to have a doc of just about the those people the people that are putting the bands together that hear one or two voices and be like well if i paired that with mm -hmm. this guy that i heard from here and this person that i heard from here that really makes a whole lot of sense for a whatever type of band it is and and you know not even as much as like the car wash style like uh like boy bands that one seems like you know it was just much more there was a template and you just kind of fill the template and at that point in time it was really hard to screw it up but yeah. like for putting together a lot of these bands it's so interesting how it's it's like a gm it's like being a GM in any of these sports of how do you notice the talent? And then when you realize this is my core piece, what skills you need from the others to be able to fill the other spots to make everything harmonious is really interesting. I'd love to like have a doc of just them speaking about that process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a prominent guy right now is, is Dave Grohl where he's, he went from one iconic band in Nirvana to now he's become the, I guess the Nirvana of the last 20 years with, with Foo Fighters, uh, his story is interesting. Just his talent is amazing. I did watch a, a partial documentary on, it wasn't their most recent album, but the album before where they recorded it all on, on, on tape. Like they was, it had to be in one take and he recorded it all on tape for sound and just like his whole process of going through that. Um, I mean, sticking with the music, my, so my brother-in-law, it works for RCA records. He's, uh, he's actually manager, he, you know, he's top 40 manager. I'm not mm -hmm. exactly sure what his title is, but he's basically a handler for the Backstreet Boys since their existence, since they started. And, uh, he's, he deals with all these people, uh, Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears was one of his artists that he's, that he handles. And just to, just to get some, you know, he, he travels, he goes to the concerts, he's there for 20 minutes, calls the radio stations, make sure they play, you know, they get their spins and all mm -hmm. that stuff. And it's whole, uh, it's a whole like behind the scenes working or behind the scenes working of, of what the music industry is, where it's like people are pushing your music constantly and it's all about relationships and you could be the greatest musician in the world, but if you don't have anybody behind you pushing your music, like you're just going to fall on deaf ears essentially. And the, I mean, the Backstreet Boys are, you just you see them pop up in the relevance more and more in the last couple of years. Like he's, they're just, I guess they're the they're the ever recurring boy band that just keeps popping back up and and making their way into Super Bowl commercials and Doritos commercials and and they're on tour with, you know, uh, Florida Georgia Line. Like they're they've got a song with them. It's like the. It's like they're. Why are you still up on the Backstreet Boys, Bobby? Like, what's hey, happening right now? No, hey, I, I. You get don't it. like the Backstreet Boys? Get out of here, Dan. No, I see. I get it because it's one of the moments that made me feel older. Is when I'm realized I'm getting targeted for nostalgia now. 
in <laughs> everything. So like you mentioned with the commercials, bands that are a little bit younger, like maybe Florida George lines, like, hey, if I can leech on to these guys to maybe get a little bit more of that slightly older demo than maybe what I'm getting normally, I understand that, that that's 100% a thing. I mean, everything, what, like I watched the, uh, on Netflix, there's the Toys That Made Us. And I watched the one on Ninja Turtles and the ones on yep. Power Rangers. And they just like 100% from the start of that, just to make it, to help it launch, targeted everybody that was like a kid in the 90s. Yeah. So like all that stuff is right. It's right there for us right now. Of, Who's your spirit Ninja Turtle? Always been Raphael, yeah, which is kind of yeah. been against, against a little bit because I've always been kind of known as a slightly nicer more chill person but then i guess when yeah. i really get going Raphael comes out so mm. i've always been a Raphael guy interesting three Raphael personalities in the same podcast interesting interesting he's the well, rebel he's the rebel yeah. ninja turtle yeah he's headstrong for sure did you guys see the video where they did the middle-aged mutant ninja turtles no oh please send get, it to me yeah <laughs> i i'll find it now and i'll send it to you because it is so good i don't want to spoil it but it's they hit like every note perfectly and Raph is the one that you're like, well, yeah, if anyone was going to be, uh, be this guy, it would, it was him. So he's on his third marriage and like second time in rehab or whatever. Oh yeah. He's, he's asking for money like that type of thing. Sounds and character. Yeah. That's... It's, oh, it's, it's perfect. So yeah, okay. you guys got a chance. I'm excited. To I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, the toys that made us was cool. Um, I watched a bunch of them. I mean, there's just a lot of, backstory to everything obviously right mm -hmm. but just like seeing the one on legos on all this stuff it's just uh it's just it was it was fascinating i can't remember some of the other ones i watched i watched these in when i was in chicago in in january i watched a bunch of them but i grew up on with ninja turtles and ghostbusters i had my ghostbusters backpack my trap slide yeah. that out and suck them in um yeah i mean it is it's funny how we crave nostalgia i feel like especially in this quarantine like yes. you're just looking for comforts and mm -hmm. no better time to bask in your childhood stuff and eat some crap macaroni and cheese, you know, <laughs> with uh, SpongeBob shapes. Uh, even though that's not really like my childhood, that was like my sister's childhood, and I watched that with her. But yeah. Um, so, what are your what have been some of your quarantine comforts? Um, let's transition into food a little bit, since okay. um, you're fat and your podcast yes. is fat. <laughs> I'm fat. So, what are your creature comforts at the moment in quarantine? It doesn't have to be food related. Um. I'll start food wise pizza rolls because so our oven is down right now. Like we were, we were like, huh, we're starting to smell gas. Let's turn this off. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, we just haven't wanted to have anybody come out and look at our oven at this point. So we're operating without an oven. So we got to be a little creative. So pizza rolls have been a big one for me. Um, we found a clutch to find a new pizza place. Cause like I moved just over a year ago to Lombard. I'd lived in West Chicago then out into Cal for college and then over to uh, Geneva initially when I got married. And uh, so moving to Lombard, I just didn't quite know the area as well, but found a clutch pizza spot. So the Sunday tradition has been pan pizza from Gulliver's in Oak Brook and then have that while watching the last dance. So that's been a Sunday tradition for me. Um, outside of that, food wise, we do a lot of quesadillas of different varieties. If we have, you know, if we, a lot of times we'll just have ground beef. So we'll just do something like that. Or mm -hmm. sometimes it'll just be a cheese quesadilla because I don't know. Sometimes we'll do grilled cheese. Sometimes we'll do that. I have a very simple 
taste palette here. So it doesn't take a whole lot to please me in that regard. But yeah, so food wise, pretty much anything involving cheese or elements of a pizza of any kind are right there for me. And then I've just been doing a lot of uh, TV related stuff. So I watched the wire through a few times. So my kind of comfort thing has been rewatching that again. I'd never seen the Sopranos and I just started this past week. So I'm like five mm. episodes in. Yes. So I yes. can't, I can't wait. I watched to a good amount of that. that. Yeah, yeah. Like the, I was, I knew I was hooked in the second episode when Paulie is bitching about how the Italians didn't take advantage of the coffee industry. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert for anyone that hasn't seen Sopranos. Yeah. Well, episode two. So whatever. But, <laughs> okay. Uh, two things we're going to need to discuss. Uh, one is going to be pizza because I have very strong opinions on, on Midwest pizza. Cause I lived in central Illinois in Bloomington, Illinois for the last nine years. I sold my, my baseball Academy there and now I live in, in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, but I grew up on New York style pizza. So we're gonna come back to that in a second, but first you're going to okay. have to take my food, my food personality test. Okay. This is something that I would use uh, on kids in my academy just to break the ice. You have a new, you know, 12, 13 year old kid. They're, they're nervous. They're intimidated. They're in a weight room yeah. for the first time. Just like breaking the ice because everyone is united over food. Number one, what's your favorite childhood sugary cereal? Uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Oh, man. All right. You, so this is opinion, but there, mm-hmm. are, there are correct and just objectively wrong answers. Yes. <laughs> as you all know with food. Of course. Uh, that's the number one answer. So good job there. All right. I'm um, good for Family Feud. Yep. Uh, macaroni and cheese. Do you choose the shapes, the tubes, like the standard, or shells? If I can get the shells you get the shells, but I am perfectly fine with, with your standard tubes. Hmm. Interesting. So that's the wrong answer. Now that's, that's, that's an, obje- an objective. They like, like squish between your teeth or like eating rubber hose. They have like no, no cheese no. retention. No, it's a, tra- in, that's in a the, trash. It's a, trash. That's a bad take. In no, the in, the, in the tube, in the tube. Oh no, but no, the shell has the best cheese retention. That's why I like that one the most, but I just, I think there's, a, if you tear it out, there's the shell, and then the other two are just kind of there. And then it depends on the shape. Like if you give me a specific shape and I can kind of give it the eyeball test of, okay, how well is this thing going to retain the cheese? Then maybe <laughs> I'd put that specific type over your standard tube. But no, oh, the, sh- okay. the shell is the best in that in that scenario. Okay. I, I accept the shells or shapes because the shapes, I, I think the cheese retention is good, but I will agree that like when a couple of shells stick together, and they got that like the cheese stuck between yeah. and they're a little bit al dente. It's pretty solid. Yes. Velveeta is like its whole other animal, but yeah, I, oh, yeah. I know it's just a box for variety here. Okay, number three. Um, cilantro or no cilantro? It kind of depends on the day for me. I know that's weird. That is weird. I, it's usually I, like it's terrible a, or I love it. Yeah, I I'm gener- a terrible person. What are you, Bobby? Um, I'm a no cilantro person. Yeah, I okay. lean no, like I default no cilantro, but there are times where, depending on what it is, I, I, I'll I'll allow it, and it doesn't okay. ruin my meal. It doesn't, if it's it there. doesn't offend. It doesn't offend your body like it kind of kind of does mine. Right. Okay. Okay. Number four, cottage cheese. Do you a love it or hate it? And B, if you do eat it, do you eat it on something savory like toast or crackers or fruit? Never find myself eating it. I don't think I hate it. I just never, I'm just kind of like, okay, it's, it's fine. It's there. If someone presents it to me, I'll eat it, but I don't choose to eat it really ever. That's okay. correct. That's correct there. You don't, nobody chooses cottage cheese. Cottage well, cheese. It's just, see, 
here's oh, my it's re- texture. It's the texture. It yeah, is a bad texture. It's an objectively I, bad texture. And I am so big with texture. Like Jay and I talk about texture all the time of how there are things like um a sliced tomato. The the you know like, uh, if like I'm gonna the have, insides are just like ugh, yeah it's like, like wet. It's like a is, wet which is cracker. because when you think when you think about like my pizza uh, sensibilities like Gulliver's. Uh, sauce is a little chunkier but it's not chunky to the point where it feels like you're just chomping on the inside of a tomato it's got just a little bit of chunk here and there to where it's not offensive but this taste is so good mm-hmm. and same with like Lou Malnati's that's my that's my default uh like of the of your standard deep dish places your chain deep dish places that's my go-to even though they have a chunkier sauce but yeah like just having a slice of tomato I'm out on that yeah, I'm not into tomato either. It's just I got this weird sugary, like kind of sweet. It's like, are you a vegetable or are you be like be a fruit or be a vegetable? It, tomatoes are yeah. Tell you um, what, tomatoes with a little bit of salt though. If you eat it like an apple, it is a little better with a little bit of salt. But number five, are you a real cake or ice cream cake person? I love them both. Um, this, is, this is your last meal. You're about to be executed in prison. Oh man! And we're saying we're getting like the the best version of either. Mm-hmm. then I'm going real cake. I think the floor is much higher on ice cream cake. But if we're talking about the best version of both, the ceiling's much higher on regular cake. And probably I would want probably like a a yellow cake, a little bit of like vanilla flavor with raspberry. Man, I'm a sucker. Or no, lemon cake with raspberry because I am a sucker for raspberry. Like the... Uh, my mom's birthday was a, is a couple days after Mother's Day, so one thing I did for her was I went and got got you know Frango mints, brought them over to her, got her the regular mints and the raspberry ones because the raspberry ones are delicious. And of course, something we spoke about on the most recent episode of the I'm Fat podcast, the fat tax. What the fat tax is is if I went to get my mom a pound of mints. I had to get a third pound for myself, of course, just so that I have them around. <laughs> so I'm not just purely jealous. That is the fat tax. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. That was a, that, but that's a, that's a very informed opinion on cake. I, I agree. I think cake has a, I mean, because that becomes like pastry chef territory where you can yeah. do a lot with cake. There is a high ceiling. I would hundred percent agree. I was always an ice cream cake person uh, as a kid growing up, but I, I agree with you. Like I've had, like, I love carrot cake and, phenomenally high ceiling when you get to like the really like what is mm. someone who really knows food and and dessert what can they do with that yeah, yeah so i agree with that exactly. okay well you did superb excellent 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 work as i expect <laughs> but when i give this to a person and they're like i like kicks and i like tubes macaroni cheese and i like cheerios and i like cottage cheese on fruit i'm like i don't trust you yeah i don't like my eyes are on you like what what are you Right. They're giving they're giving the default answers just to get by and get to whatever's next, which you always have to give them a little bit of a side eye for because I, I don't know. Like, I, I, it's funny. I, I can't imagine not thinking as much about not being as detailed in thinking about all those things food wise, because especially right now, what else is there really to, you know, yeah. just make you truly happy than getting really good food? Yeah. So, and what so, kind of psycho buys kicks for their child? Kicks aren't that bad. I, I mean, I, should, I actually liked kicks. Yeah, I, that was probably the wrong example, but but out of the out of the plethora of cereals, you walk like you walk in and you're like, oh, my kid would probably want some kicks. 
Like, no, your kid wants Captain Kick, Crunch, kicks only like the berries. Stepping, it's stepping them down from Captain Crunch. That's what kicks are. They're a, they're a middle ground between Cheerios, which are disgusting. I like, I mean, feeding your kids Cheerios is... Honey Nut Cheerios. Is, honey they're nut delicious. Cheerios. They're great. Yeah, and see, kicks like, are in that same realm, like lightly sweetened. Yeah, see, like, I'm, I'm big right now on like the the middle step so i haven't gone down to like healthy cereal yet because let's be real that's probably just never going to happen but for, but right now i'm on a big honeycomb kick and golden grams oh golden grams are incredible i yes. put them in the sugary category do they have objectively do they have less less sugar <laughs> you think i look <laughs> well you said you're in you said you're stepping down so I assume maybe I, I like, guess oh. I guess I'm just like thinking, well, it, it doesn't it doesn't have a cartoon character with it. That means it's healthier. Low sponsorship. Yeah. Well, yeah. that that no, isn't no that how, that's <laughs> how you have to rank your cereals, right? Like if you're buying for a child, it's you look at the box. Yeah. If it's got a, if it's got tricks, if it's tricks and it's got a, you know, a, an animal on it with a beak or whatever, you buy that for your kid. Mm-hmm. And then you get to like honeycomb where it's like, oh, normal, normal packaging. I guess this is adult cereal. And then yeah, you honey, get honeycomb has a, some sort of ant. Don't they have like a bee or something? They have something, right? Do they? Yeah. But then you get to like raisin brand where it's where once they start advertising fiber content, you know, it's an yeah. adult cereal. Like you need your brand flakes. You're not regular enough to not buy this cereal. Well, with golden grams and that's, they're a fascinating one. They're soggy in like 44 seconds. It's like, I think it's one of the soggiest cereals. What's your take on this, Rick? Okay. You guys are not going to like this. No, I don't know anybody that likes my take on this with cereal. Okay. I eat cereal with no milk in the bowl, but a glass of milk on the side. Interesting. (laughs) An odd. Hold on. You're right. I did. I do hate that. When did you start doing this? Were you like nine and you just decided like, hey. This logistically doesn't make any sense for me. I am very logistically motivated, but I don't remember when I started that. It might have been always. I I don't. I just don't have any recollection of like eating cereal with milk when I was younger. I just it probably happened at some point. I just don't really remember. It's just always made sense to me of why would I want to risk my cereal getting soggy? When I could just have the milk on the side to wash it down and keep the integrity of the cereal. So I'm, it's not a race against the clock. But do you feel like, but then you're like, it's fully hard, dry. The milk, I mean, you're not like hoarding it in your mouth for a while. No. Like, it, doesn't it need like to take a little bit of the edge off? Like it has to be, a, has a little yeah. bit of like invasion. No, I'm good. Especially, good. especially with like eating now honeycomb. Honeycomb's a little softer by nature. But like golden grams is pretty rough, but I don't really care that I'm much more sensitive to heat when it comes to like my mouth and thinking about that kind of stuff than to that kind of texture. Okay. It needs, okay. An, yeah. it needs a pre-soak. It needs like, you know, before you go in the public pool, they make you do, rinse like that. Mm-hmm. You need, your cereal needs a rinse. It needs a Yeah. Who really wants a, to go into the I public never... pool if you have to? Your cereal bowl is the public pool. I'm avoiding the public pool. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I was never like a a lot of my friends as kids would just have like a baggie of cereal and they just eat dry cereal. And I was like never about that life. I was like, eh, it's not with some milk. It's not for me. I guess I just always thought of it closer to like like in that regard of just snacking on it. Just like, like chips or pretzels or something like that. It's not that different. 
Yeah, I guess I would I would tend to agree. I mean, something like something like cinnamon toast crunch, your hand's going to be like pretty kind of gross as you're yeah, doing it. It's a little see, less. But that's one I still eat like with that. a spoon. Yeah, like I'll still eat that in with a spoon, but most of the ones that I eat aren't like that. So yeah, I, I can just with the hand and I'm good. Gotcha. So let's go to pizza. I think Midwest pizza is trash. Well, there's hold different on, hold on, and there's hold two on. times and there's two times. I know. Hear me out. Well, no, there's different varieties of yes. Mid- yes. Midwest pizza. Are we, are we yes. talking? Yes. Let me, Robert. I got yes. So you're a lunatic, Dan. Oh, uh, you got deep dish Robert. pizza is deep dish pizza is one thing, sure. but I'm talking about the the thing that most families, at least in Central Illinois, seem to get on Friday night was this thin crust, mm-hmm. like five different cheeses. I don't know. Mozzarella is certainly not like the the star. This crackery crust, lots of like sausage and other toppings, and just in general, more like a frozen pizza or a Domino's thin crust pizza. So compared to, to like New York, tavern New York style, almost. Yeah, I mean, is that not your experience? I mean, tell tell me what Midwest pizza is to you, and then I'll go back on my my high horse. Okay, um, because I'm tr- I'm just trying to determine if you're having more St. Louis style pizza, which is pretty much crackers cheese and like ketchup basically yeah. which so is like, pretty like, awful like monocles um what are some of the other brands but that seems like have you had monocles pizza i have not but like i'm thinking That's more i'm thinking like like tavern style is like what you would get at a restaurant or probably closer to like um DiGiorno's crust goes a little higher than what a traditional tavern style would be but like yes, hate that, that you don't yes, like DiGiorno at all no mm-hmm judging face yeah, yeah. and i mean yeah. we're all ju- like it's all about context uh that we're judging in terms of like i'm not going to judge DiGiorno against like a fresh new york slice or something like no. that i'm frozen pizza's DiGiorno. own category yeah, yeah frozen pizza is sure. its, its own thing but like yeah so frozen pizza gets a little dicier but in terms of like i'll take DiGiorno over like jack's or tombstone or something like that but that's also depends on how much you're willing to spend on a frozen pizza because frozen pizza is getting a little expensive to where if you want to go for a better frozen pizza you might as you could just get like an average delivery or pickup at a place and pay yes. just about the same so at that point it becomes a, a cost thing but yeah i think tavern style is more traditional but then you have detroit which has its own pan style which is a whole different thing too. So, you know, don't paint, don't paint all us Midwesterners with, you know, that broad brush because, you know, we've got a little, we've got some discerning factors there. We all may be, well, at least I'll speak for myself and most people in the Midwest, we may be slightly iffy looking and and fat and simpletons, but you know, there's, there's a little bit of differentiation there. Yeah. I think, I think what you're, it sounds like what I'm describing then is the St. Louis style, the thin crust, weird cheese ketchupy ketchupy yeah. tomato sauce that was like the, the prevalent one in central illinois um not much deep dish down there they have like a um giordano's location mm-hmm. but again like that's not that's not what people like really pick up every friday night to like no. get their their weekly pizza with their family no so but yeah that's, so that's a luxury pizza but you, that's yeah. a special occasion pizza deep yeah. dish is special occasion pizza so yeah. where do you fall on new york pizza rick oh i love it yeah, New York pizza's really damn good. Like I like getting sometimes maybe not a totally burnt crust, but you know, getting more your wood fire ish type thing. And the th- yeah, I 
New York, it, it's not that totally different. I'm here for Greece, shockingly. So <laughs> I, I'm here for the bigger slice. It's a challenge. I'm yeah, I'm New York pizza is really damn good. I am here for it. I would still take a tavern style Midwest pizza probably over a New York slice, but the, it's a great option that I'm not going to turn down if I'm offered. Okay. Fair enough. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. What's your go-to tavern style pizza in Chicago? You spend a lot of time in Chicago. It's funny when I was working in, in the city, I was so rarely stay after work because uh, at least the last year I was taking the train or before I was driving and I'm like, I just want to get out of here because I was yeah. living at least 45 minutes away. So I didn't stay around very often, but what are some of the places we would get that I think lose thin crust is underrated. I, uh, where else would we go? Art of pizzas thin crust is pretty good. Everybody for both of those always thinks of the deep dish or the stuffed, but I think their thin crust is pretty underrated. There's a place that Jay loves on the South side called Rosangela's. He yes. loves Rosangela's. That's his number one place. Last meal, it's going to be Rosangela's. It's going to be involved somehow. So those are probably the top ones. What I'll say about Gulliver's, the place that I like now, their pan is. They're known for their pan pizza. And I guess the people that own that are like, they've worked with the people from Pequod's. So if you're thinking about like quality, it's right up there. It's a re, It's got like a nice, the crust has a nice, crust to it but the inside is so light and airy and they give you the right balance in terms of cheese sauce and the quality of toppings that if you're looking for pan style it is right up there it is so good i like pequods yeah Yeah. bobby took me to pequods for the first time and i like it a lot more now that i tried to listen to the i tried to read or listen to moby dick on an audiobook so i now know what pequod refers refers to the boat nice um just a miserable audiobook. A miserable book in general. Why is that an American classic? It is so boring and long and contrived and just mind-numbing. Do you have any experience with Moby Dick? I think I I think I was supposed to read it for a class at one point and I just either it was either before Sparknotes existed or something like so like I I just tried to fake it as well as I could. I I did that so much with books in high school and college i read what i had to and like ever especially after my so my junior research paper that we all had to do i was i was in one of the um i don't know whatever that whatever they call like the advanced classes or whatever whatever they called that at the time and my teacher was really limiting on what we could do everybody else got to do their junior research paper on whatever they wanted as long as it was done really well we had to do a theme from an author that was on his list and do an entire research paper on it. So I was kind of done with, you know, books for a while when I had to write a 12 page paper on the transcendentalism in John Updike novels, (laughs) which is just like your description of Moby Dick. You think reading a book like that or a paper like that is boring. Try writing it. It was awful. I got it done and I got, it was like a B or a B minus on it, which I was more than happy with, but God, that was just drain. I I didn't think things in high school could really drain your life force that much. (laughs) That did a number on me because I didn't want to read anything for so long after that. Obviously I had to, 
but boy, I, no. So no, I avoided reading as much as I could, especially towards the end of high school. Cause once you're in that senior year, you do what you have to. Yeah, and I had, a per, yeah, I had a light course load anyway. I, I had done pretty good at being strategic about that. So yeah, no, I took senior year easy after that damn paper. It haunts me to this day. Well, you might appreciate this story then. So I, when I was in uh, high school, so either my junior or senior year, I feel like it was more my junior year, but I, for some reason, signed up for AP, AP US history. Don't know why. Never wanted to take the AP test. I wasn't going to be one of those honors kids. Like I've always been smart, but never like my path. Uh, and so this teacher, great teacher, very into like, very gung-ho. Mm-hmm. Do you know what a DBQ was? Document-based question. Do you ever take yeah. an AP test? Yeah. So yeah, they have like 10 primary sources. Like here's a declaration of independence. Well, I'll answer these questions. He wanted us to make our own document-based question, then present it to the oh. class. And, then, and I was like, I hate, like I can write and I can do all these things. I hate having to research for writing. It's like, okay, where can I find this thing somewhere in the ether that supports my point? And like you have, it's, it's such a bog on my time. I absolutely despise doing research for stuff. So what was this? What was this question? But like he said, we had to find actual primary sources, like go through the microfiche in the library and like find whatever to support our points. I'm like, this is literally my my nightmare, my hell. I I hate this. So I did what every kid should do. And I calculated my grades for the year thus far and the midterm and the final and figured out what I would need to get on the final if I took an F for the quarter. And turned out it wasn't really that bad of a grade because if I, I could still get a C uh, if I got like a some relatively attainable number. Mm-hmm. So I didn't do it. And it was literally like the only the only assignment for like the whole quarter. And we showed up and they, all the desks aligned in like a, a big U shape. He just goes around and he goes, hey, all right, where's your thing? I'm like, I didn't do it. And you and you saw this like thing go off in his head, whereas like never in a million years did he ever consider that that answer would come out of any of his students' mouth, like that it could just possibly just not be done. Like yeah. I just didn't do it. You're and a rebel, Dan. You're he a didn't rebel. talk. He didn't talk to me ever again, <laughs> basically. But I got the grade. Whether I had done that or didn't do it, I still was getting essentially the same grade for the for the year. Nice. And I was like, I'm gonna save myself this suffering. I could either suffer and get a C or not suffer and get a C. Which one would you take? <laughs> Right. So I don't really look back on that with, I do look back on it with fondness because I know how painful that would have been, but I feel a little bad because he was a really, he was a genuinely really good teacher, but yeah. And you ruined his, he he tells this story to his, to his like teacher buddies, like around round table. It's like, I had a kid one time, just not do it. Didn't do it. Shows up nothing like this is, (laughs) this is, you gave him a story for his life. Well, I or think you send him to therapy. <laughs> yeah, right. He's still there. He's it's still all, there. It's all on the table. But I mean, what do you think about? I mean, here's the thing about life, Rick. We and maybe you agree with this. Let me know. Should we do more than we need to to get the exact result that we want? Or should we do exactly what is needed to get the result that we want? Uh, I think it. it's hard to do that theoretically, because if it's something that is beneficial down the road like uh as an example so here's an example i I brought him up earlier and maybe it's fresh in my mind because because i i spoke with him yesterday so the thing that you hate most is what jack silverstein is fantastic at and that is 
uh, the old line from the wire from Lester Freeman, you have a gift for the paper trail. That's Jack Silverstein where he's writing a book on the bulls, but his, his Substack, his newsletter that you can uh, subscribe to, which I highly recommend for anybody that is a uh, bulls fan out there. That's really interested in more in-depth stuff that we were talking about earlier, Bobby, about learning about the 98 team and all the context behind everything. Yeah. Um, that he's fantastic at finding the old articles that, that give the proper quotes that give the details that he needs for, you know, his book or for the newsletter. Cause he's really being a genius about it of basically saying, well, all this, this is just the raw form of what I find. And I'll put that in the newsletter. And then obviously as he's writing the book and kind of curtailing everything and putting it in the proper context, he just repurposes it for the, for the sake of the book. So like, I think in that case, going the extra mile, even though it may give you the same grade or the same outcome, whatever it is, makes sense. If it's yeah. like a gen ed in college or something like that, that like, see, that's where I got screwed a little bit. Well, not screwed. I screwed myself in terms of changing my major and all this stuff. But like when I was a music education major for a year and a half, I didn't really care too much about my gen eds because you had so few of them because there were so many core music classes that you had to take that stuff that could have been more relevant when I ended up switching my major, I did the bare minimum to get through and really didn't retain yeah. much of it just because of that. And now Season I'm archaeology. Like, yeah. And I'm yeah. like, you know, I could maybe use some of this a little bit more now. Like if I had maybe taken Spanish in college instead of Italian, even though they're pretty close anyway, Mm -hmm. Even just like I did in high school. Well, now maybe if I went to a baseball clubhouse, it'd be more useful. Something like that, yeah. that I wish I had the context of at the time. In those instances, it makes sense. But in most instances, you do what you do to, to get by and, and, you know, save some sanity as much as you can. Yeah. You took, you took Italian? You took Italian at uh, NIU? Yeah, for uh, two, a year? Yeah, I think a year. And, I, I had thought I had forgotten most of it until on Netflix, I watched uh, salt, fat, acid, heat, which is really, really great. It's like almost soothing in the way it's shot in the way it's, it's done. It's like one writer who wrote a book by the same name. I always forget her name goes to Italy, goes to where was it? Somewhere in Japan to figure out how those four elements are used in cooking and why they matter culturally and all this other stuff. And when they're in Italy, they are, she speaks Italian. So it's all subtitled, but like from just hearing the conversation, I realized I remember a little bit more than I thought I did. Like I can confidently count to 10 and say, my name is Rick. And much outside of that, I'm not really here for anymore. I don't remember a lot. It's That's funny. Right. I took a, I took a sign language class for a semester at Northern I thought about doing that too. I'm fascinated by sign language. So one, so one summer I worked in, I stayed up on campus after I'd switched majors to try and catch up a little bit. And I was working in the, the dorm uh, uh, cafeterias. So one day in an entire two hour lunch service, we had three people come in <laughs> three. So I'm sitting in the, I'm sitting in the dish room just waiting and they have all the stuff up on the walls of, you know, like the safety stuff, but they also had the sign language alphabet. So over the course of that shift, I just kind of taught myself the sign language alphabet. Nice. Yeah. I took it. Um, so I took it second semester of, I had maybe my sophomore year or junior year. So 
I, baseball player. So I was in season all the whole second semester. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a really uh, attractive TA or teacher's assistant. So I always made it a point to go to this class. I was like, I'm just going to go to this class, but I got to take all the tests uh, separately from everybody. So I could, I still know the alphabet a little bit. Like I know my name is Bobby. Like I can mm-hmm. spell it out. You but can spell these, your own name. I can spell my own name. That's great. Even on, even on paper. Good. Good. <laughs> these, but these tests were just silenced. Like she would just sign something into the air and you had to write down what it was, but I got to take them on the side. So one-on-one. So she would sign it and I'd sit there and just stare at her because I didn't know anything about what she was signing. So then she would sign it again and I'd be like, yeah, I see you signing. Yeah. Like I get yeah. it. And then, so then it just got to the point where she'd sign something mouth what it was and then i would just try and interpret what she was mouthing and then she eventually she was just giving me the answers so i got a great grade in this class and i get to spend a lot of time with this with the ta but i knew it just (laughs) taking the the benefit of being an athlete was taking these taking a lot of tests separately Mm -hmm. from everybody else unsupervised by the way like there's if you if you ever thought college athletes got got it a little bit easier they do because I was taking all these tests unsupervised, but she was just mouthing. It got to the point where the test was verbal. <laughs> she was just sign languaging everything on the side. That's like me in uh, so senior year of high school. I really didn't want to take calculus because the good calculus teacher had left the school and the only ones left were like just notoriously not great teachers. So I was like, well, I really don't want to take calculus, but that was like the logical step for the senior year math. So I said, screw it. I'm not great with computers, but I know a lot of my buddies are taking uh, cal- are taking computer science. So I took comp sci. And for me, I had done zero programming at this point. And this was um, the first year. I think they were, we were doing, we were writing Java or something like that. So, I was, my friends got so frustrated with me. Like I understood the, the, like the real basics, but they would get so frustrated with me trying to understand like, you know, next level concepts in terms of being able to write my code. This each project, someone would just say, okay, screw it. Just change. I'll send you my code. Just change the variable names and we'll call it a day. So that's how I got through senior year math was just because everybody got frustrated and they didn't want to have to go step by step with me. So they just let me copy. There you go. And, and here we are, all are as grownups. Well, what's right? funny is that they always threaten you with your permanent record at like every stage of your life as a kid. And then there's like never a permanent record. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. So what was, I mean, I have to, I have to touch on my NIU nostalgia for a second. Oh, yeah. What's your go-to, what's your go-to pizza up at NIU? Because I have thoughts and what's your go-to just restaurant in general, like late my, night. My number one food item is are the cheese nuggets from pizza pros yes okay slam dunk yeah just that's the dunk. only correct answer yeah it's not burritoville no. it's not it's not uh lucalo's it's it's right. pizza pros cheese nuggets r.i.p by the way yes lucalo's yeah the, oh, the, no. the beer nuggets that i went there once to pick them up and then i was and i had been told no just always get them delivered well i went to pick them up and then i learned why you always get them picked up because yeah, not not a great place you ever want to be in. Now oh, the no. the beer nuggets from Pizza Villa are good, but Pizza Villa is expensive. Um, the potato salad from Fatties is one of the only ways I will consume mayo 
Interesting. So I'm very anti mayo, but there are very few exceptions, and that potato salad is one of them. Uh, other, I worked at Papa John's when I was there, so I learned how to make Papa John's pizza edible. <laughs> so here, ranch. I'll, 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 not big on ranch either. I'm very odd that way. So let me give you. That's a yeah. That's a very Midwest thing. The, the pizza and ranch thing is very Midwest. Yeah, I don't like that at all. That like uh, my wife will do that from time to time. Like not even on frozen pizza where it like kind of needs the help. Mm, I I won't. I'd rather put hot sauce on it. Something you like had, that. Have you ever had Old Bay on pizza? I haven't. It's really that's so when I do a frozen pizza, yeah, and I go to the Red Baron brick oven, which is three fifty. It's actually very very good. I covered an Old Bay. It's really okay. really good. You should you should try it. I will try it. So my here's my ultimate. Here was what I would get from Papa John's when the owner wasn't managing that night, and we could pretty much just make what you want and take it home with you. So you take the thin crust, which their thin crust in and of itself is actually not bad. It's decently flaky. So it's a, it's a solid thin crust. Okay. Now you, you do that. You then put a layer of the garlic butter because the garlic butter was actually solid. That's the key to these places is they got to have the stuff that's cheaper actually be good because it covers the other stuff not being as good. So a layer of that, a layer of cheese, a second thin crust goes the opposite way to kind of just to capture the garlic butter goodness and the cheese goodness in there. Regular sauce, crushed red pepper on the bottom. I'm always big of on the toppings being underneath the cheese so that you get some of the grease in there and the extra flavor oozing out. Uh, then what? The pepperoni, the cheese, and then your seasoning type junk. The seasoning packet at Papa John's is huge. That is the key. And it's only like a quarter. Like so key to make that food edible. It serves the purpose of like what the old bay would. It's to, I, I don't know exactly that, what's in there. Make that food edible. <laughs> but I so I would have a double decker pizza and almost every shift I would make one before I left so that I would have a free meal or two. <laughs> just cheating us uh, Papa John would not be happy with you. I like how you just described that just struck a, a funny chord. Make that food as calling a pizza, like an established pizza chain, make that food edible. As yeah. if it's like a, a ration packet that they drop from an airplane over this the desert in Africa. I had to stop myself so many times at the score because I wanted to basically say that, but they were they uh they bought ad time on the station, so I'm like, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Can't uh, just can't quite go there. Can't can only bash it in your private in the private sector. Pretty much. Speaking of speaking speaking of pizza, so one of the things I like about New York pizza is that it's just it's simple, right? It's just a good mm-hmm. simple crust. It's very light on the sauce, and it's just like this delicious. It's like the same cheese. It's like one dish seems like one mozzarella distributor with all like the best pizza places up in New York. What are some other foods that you feel like? stop stop messing with this stop adding to this stop like adding you know what i mean and that's part of my thing with toppings and like the midwest there's always like a lot of toppings good new york pizza doesn't need toppings so it just is what it is so what are some foods that you feel like just leave it alone this is amazing in its simplicity um that's a really good question like like grilled cheese obviously falls in that category sure um, of course yeah grilled cheese but, falls in that like I'm not that big on like the boutique versions of a lot of things. Like that seems to be the trend now is let's just be smarter than everybody else on everything. Um, yeah. Chicken I mean, and waffles even, is a good example of that. 
Yes, very much so. I, I think even just sometimes how much people will do to chicken, like just calm down, man. Like there, there's a place. So there's a place that's in Jay and I talk about it on the I'm Fat podcast all the time. It's uh, Fry the Coop. There's one. I always forget. I think it's one in Oak Lawn. There's one in Elmhurst, which is the one that I go to. And then I believe there's one on the north side of the city somewhere. I'm not exactly sure where, but they just do hot chicken. And it's very simple. They have a, a variety of rubs that you can choose. And that's it. They do chicken and waffles. They'll throw it on a sandwich and they'll give you, or they'll give you strips. That's pretty much it. And then they like make a, sure. Yeah. It's like a Gene and Jude's, if you're familiar of, yeah. of chicken. Gene and Jude's, for those listening, is the best hot dog place in the world. Yeah. Rick, yeah. thoughts? Dude, I never spent any time in the city, man. Like, I, I'm just, I'm good uh, Gene, with. So Gene I and Juge is, uh, is River Grove. That's not too far from where you're it? at. Okay. See, I, I'm embarrassingly bad. Like, I grew up Western Burbs, but like far enough west where to go to the city was kind of a trek. And we never did. So, like, my city knowledge or even like towns around the city is kind of, is embarrassingly low. I try and cover it up the best I can. I've, I've learned a bit, obviously, in my time being in the city all in, uh, every day, but it's embarrassingly low. Like, if it's Western Burbs, I got you. If it's DeKalb, I got you. You know, Southern Burbs a little bit, too. But, no, I'm, I fully own the fact that I'm brutal in that regard. I think a lot of people grow up that way. Like, I grew up, my family, we didn't really go to Baltimore. That was yeah. the closest city. And, like, if I didn't, like, I'm a city person, so I, like, sought cities out deliberately in my adulthood mm -hmm. but if i hadn't i would i've been i'd be the exact same way you are i feel like that's pretty normal honestly like bobby's always lived in the city and like i seek cities out but i think your your condition is probably more normal than anybody's yeah i don't i don't like it as much though because as much as as much as i fall into my just you know my normal patterns and i don't vary too much like when i go to a restaurant if i have something that's really good it takes a lot for me to try something else then from there because yeah. it's like well go i have back a to the well yeah. yeah i have a guaranteed great experience right here or i could try something else and it might not be as good and then i'll be mad at myself for not getting the same thing that i always get so it's it's a trade-off uh but yeah i do wish i was more adventurous in that way in terms of just wanting to seek it out when i was younger i do it a little bit now like when i would go see people uh, you know, I would always just tell them like, wherever you think I should go, that's where we're going. Gotcha. Yeah. Take a good, take a good recommendation in the city. Yeah. Well, what do you so, got on? What do you got on Italian beef? Sorry, Bobby. I beat you in there, man. Be faster. Sorry, man. Radio. It's, it's tough to beat Portillo's. I mean, it I sounds, agree with that. Like, Portillo's is great. We've got a, I've got Bona right by me. Um, I had Al's once. And it was like, it was really good. Don't get me wrong, but I just think it's really tough to be a Portillo's beef. I, the, Portillo's is magic because they always have like somehow while, you know, we go through everything that's happening with everybody cutting back on employees and whatever in any context, it doesn't matter sports or anywhere else. Portillo's always has 50 people it feels like working they yeah. get their food out real quick and i'll be damned if it's not delicious every single time no matter what location so portillo's has some sort of wizardry where they you know they actually seem to pay people okay and they work hard 
and they're able to keep them employed even when you know the economy can take a downturn or there's a damn pandemic going on. So props to Portillo's on every level. Are they still open? I assume they probably are, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they do. Their drive-throughs are just like asinine. Like, at least it's packed. insane. It's and yet insane. they st- and that they still get your food out in a relatively like you don't feel offended by the time that it takes to get your food now compared to what it normally was. Yeah, and Portillo's always I mean for people who aren't in the Midwest, Portillo's is this amazing uh, Italian beef and hot dog joint. Mm-hmm. And they've grown to a bigger chain and they do surf. I mean, if you go to Chicago, like near that McDonald's in the middle of the city near uh, Michigan Avenue, there's I mean, there's a huge Portillo's and it's insanely busy during the weekends, the summer and then just like any meal time in general. But they do they have a system and they churn people. And if you are in the drive through Portillo's is noticeably longer than any other. It's not like fast food, like you're getting real food pretty right. fast, but it's noticeably slower than chick-fil-a like whatever it's not that but Under, bobby you don't you don't like this take do you uh i don't i know you, I do, I know I like, you don't i know you i don't. like portillo's i like i'm i'm partial to uh bona beef i mean i've got my my specific you know standalone beef places johnny's mm. beef and alma park is i grew up on you know mr beef in the yeah. city on orleans is a is a slam dunk um i'm partial to bona beef if we're talking you know portillo's quality because i went to college with uh you know one of the one of the sons um, who now basically runs a lot of the Bona beefs and he runs a lot of the operations. So, okay. if, you know, if there's a Portillo's and a Bona in relative proximity, I'm going to Bona beef. Um, That's fair. It's, it's not like it's not like it's bad by any. So I think they're really close. Yeah, it's I very, like them both. The thing beef, with Portillo's beef shack, beef shack in St. Charles. Shack. Oh, yeah, I've been to beef shack. <laughs> very good. Very yeah. good. Yeah, that's that one surprised me because it's like you go up to it and it doesn't look, it's not a great looking building. Mm-hmm. That's how you know it's good. I know. That's, you that know it's true. I'm, I'm the last podcast that Jay and I did. We did ways you can know that a restaurant is good. And it's like, if there are cop cars there, it's good because yes. the cops <laughs> always know the good food in the area. That's a big one. If you see someone really old is working in the kitchen, that is clearly family and not just like, you know, a cheap, uh, you know, someone that's going to work for cheap because they're still living in the fifties or something <laughs> like that's yeah, that those are some surefire ways that you can, uh, you can tell if a place is fantastic. Oh yeah. That's you just, you know, it's, you know, it's good when you walk up and it, and it feels slightly dirty, mm-hmm. just slightly dirty, not yes. maybe unsanitary, but it's like, they just don't, those two people back there don't have enough time to totally clean the place. So right. they make it presentable. Right. John, yeah. Taffer, you know. John Taffer might yell a little bit, but once he tries the food, then he'll be okay. He loves it. <laughs> yeah. And if you were to ask him like, Hey, you know, this place could be a little cleaner. Do you want me to spend time cleaning the nooks and crannies? Or do you want me to make a damn sandwich? Like, mm-hmm. good point. Okay. Do what, you're, do what you're good at. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. So Rick, you talk about, uh, I mean, I got to touch on this. I put it in my notes. Um, it wasn't the, it's two episodes ago on your OmFat podcast. You okay. and Jay talk about Malort. And yeah. Yeah, oh, I'm sure you're talking. Sh- Good I'm job. Sure you- so I sent a bottle of Malort to Dan mm-hmm. and Dan's familiar with Malort. I've, I've bought it before. It's my go. It's my go-to shot. So I'm, I'm in that. I'm in the party of, I actually like Malort. And I, I can get into the reasons why. I see you sweating over there <laughs> talking well, about it. Fa- to be fair, I'm sweating anyway. <laughs> like, I, I, it's because, like, so I live uh, right by a uh, fire department and train tracks. 
and we don't have central air. So I close the window that's normally open just so the sound's not coming in too bad. So it gets a little warm and just did my laundry yesterday and haven't put everything away. So I put on one of my heavier shirts this morning. So I am, I am a little damp. Mm. So the, so Malort is obviously it's a Chicago thing. It's a, it's an acquired taste. So I've sent it to a few people that have been on the, on the podcast. They've sent us some videos back of them sharing it with, you know, friends and family and how terrible it actually is the mm-hmm. first time you have it, you know, where, where do you fall on Malort? Where's your, where's your love hate relationship with Malort? I mean, maybe it's because I only had it the one time, but the one time was enough. I'm out on Malort. I feel like it's seriously one of those things. And maybe it's because of like the people that I knew that were first bringing it up were the more like always having to be on the front edge hipster type people that were like, that were like, no, no, it's great. It's, you know, because it's like, I swear people were just trying to make sure that they liked it because it's a Chicago thing. And I'm like, I just don't like it. That's all. There's too many other options. That it's are objectively really- bad. I yeah. mean, just objectively, I, it just tastes seriously ter- terrible. If, yeah, if we did a blind taste test of stuff, just purely on that out, I'm just out on it. There's too many other delicious things that I could have a shot of or drink instead that maybe I could acquire that taste, but I have no interest in acquiring it. So there's my reasoning right there is that I have yet to find those other alternatives that I, that I think are better than like Jameson. I don't like Jameson. Wow. Uh, I'm not a Jameson person. Tequila. Like you give me Patron or Casamigos shot. Like that's my least favorite. But why do you try to like Malort so much? It's just like objectively bad. I don't try try, put in You put in work over the years. Well, I've taken, I mean, it's definitely what Rick said is like, you want to, you want to like it. I think just, I don't dislike the aftertaste. So the Malort, the the initial taste Mm -hmm. of Malort is really not, it's not bad. It's, I guess, comparable to any other shot. It's the aftertaste that lingers that people don't like. And yeah. I find that aftertaste much better than the than the tequila, like the potential th- throwing up in my mouth gag reflex I get from a shot of Patron. I don't know. I just like I'm not I mean, going to. I'll give you that. Tequila is disgusting. But it's now, as, a shot, as a shot or are you cool with it in a mixed drink fashion? I will drink it in a mixed drink. I will, I, but it's as a shot. Tequila is like a punch in the. It's like it's much more of a punch in the face than Malort. Do you have any any booze that you can't have anymore because of either NIU experiences or anything else? Yes, Clement. Yes, NIU Clementine vodka. Oh, Clementine Svedka. Okay. Yeah. So going to going to the liquor store at the tender age of 19 getting a bottle of clementine vodka and taking lemon drop shots so if if, if you're not familiar with the lemon drop shot you take a shot of the vodka you have a lemon with a little bit of sugar on it put the take the take the lemon bite into Mm -hmm. it lemon drop shot now after you have a dozen or so of those you start reusing the lemons and then you get a little, then, then the night gets a little hazy and then you wake up sometime the next day, not feeling so hot. And you have this recurring thought in your mind. If you see a Clementine, either at the bottle, smell it or the fruit, you do want to die. And that yeah. is, 
that's my NIU. Oh, I okay. to this day I smell it and I can't okay. I can't do it. Okay, I got two. Uh, one of them, and they actually came within a week and a half of each other. Uh, one is everybody in college has UV, so I it was UV blue. UV blue. Oof. So on my floor, I was waiting to get in on beer pong, and there was a decent wait. So I have a little bit of UV blue left because I would always just mix it with Sprite and call it a day. But I had like a little bit left in the bottle. It didn't look like much. So I'm like, well, I'll just kind of take care of this. But I was just doing shots. Eight shots later, I finally get, I'm finally done with the UV blue and I get up in beer pong. And the next thing that I remember is I'm sitting on the toilet and it's 530 in the morning. And I guess I had I was really good in beer. I was always a really good beer pong player, sober or drunk. And I uh, apparently held the table by myself because we had an odd number of people. So I played by myself, drank all the beer, and I held for nine games. And that didn't end very well. So that was that one. So I can't do UV blue anymore. And the other one was for somebody's birthday. uh, A guy on my floor that I didn't even really like that much, but he offered to buy the booze. So I was like, all right, I'll drink with him for the night. We got Captain we got Captain Morgan private stock and Ooh. doing double shots with the birthday girl and everybody that came up to her that wanted to do a shot with her our fifth of it was gone in about 20 minutes between the two of us and as far as I'm told we went through a whole another one that night someone went to the liquor store and got it for us I have zero recollection of that and so the Captain Morgan private stock is off limits completely because that was that was my worst night. My buddies had to I was able to get back to the room past the cops in the dorm because I was I was in marching band for all four years. I was at Northern. So I was able to roll step by while not really wavering much. So, you know, marching band came in handy for once. And then after that, uh, my buddies had to help me get into bed. They put they like put just like athletic shorts on me to help me out. They were apparently my little brother's athletic shorts because I woke up the next morning and realized why I wasn't sure why I couldn't move my legs. I had a garbage can next to me. I puked in that. It was a horrible night, horrible night. So captain Morgan, private stock UV blue out. What do you got, Dan? What's yours? I don't really have a booze one. So two things to know about me is I, well, well, three things. I don't drink all that much. Um, Two, I have a very strong constitution. So to get to that point is like extremely rare. And three, I actually don't get hangovers. Never have. I'm actually with you on that. I'm actually with you on that. Really? Wow. The thing is, I've realized it's a trade-off. I don't get hangovers, but I black out easier than most. So it's kind of the, Hmm. would you rather know everything that happened but just be paying for it the next day or would you rather have a little blissful ignorance and feel fine the next day i kind of like my end of that oh yeah interesting that, isn't that more reason to i to... never met another one of my kind it's, it's yeah, extremely rare it, it's wasted on me it's like yeah. i wish i could gift it to like some hobo who well and like i don't even i don't drink much anymore either you know like it's i guess this is being a, an adult thing but in college i mean all bets yeah. are off when you're in college mm-hmm uh, no, mine's not a booze. Mine is, <laughs> I was going on a, on like a day trip with my family when I was like, I don't know, like a seven, eight, nine, ten, some age, some small age. Uh, and I was chugging Yoohoo in a very hot car that was rumbling around. 
Oh, and I, okay. I ralphed hot you, hot, hot you vomit all over our, our family car. And I oh, couldn't touch God. a you for a decade. Oh. And you who's really good. I later realized again as a young adult, I'm like, yeah. man, I've been really missing out. I had the you double fudge, which I don't know if you've had that, but it's awesome. Yes. But you who I was like, oh, no, get, get that yellow bottle away from me. <laughs> like, I know <laughs> I know what you do. Uh, it was so sad. But yeah, my whole childhood was sans you who after that car ride <laughs> uh, it sounds dis- it, you who in itself is i don't like you i'm not a you who fan it's like a watery chocolate milk thing going on but in the hot car like i want to throw up for you <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, dude, seriously. so bad and it's so funny thinking about how because i have a niece and a nephew now my niece is only a week a week old my nephew is 18 months and I just think about my sister and my brother-in-law and, and then I think back about my, my parents, what every parent goes through, like the way kids throw up. It's, it's, it's so funny where they're like, it's like, and they're like a combination of vomiting and crying. This like weird, like this weird cry that they're sad. That they want. It's this whole nightmarish thing. Like uh, all the stuff that you go through as a parent to just like clean your kids up as they figure out their life and their their bodies it's gross but i just remember that yeah that just that car smelled because we, we continued on the trip and that car must have just been, <laughs> just been <laughs> horrific for the rest of the day this is, so this is, a, this is an insight to dan's youth that we rarely get it's just a yep. smelly you smelly horror stories regurgitated you who in the no, back of a minivan i'm i have a, and the thing is i am not a puker it takes you couldn't run me in exercise to get me to puke. It would never, it would never happen. Um, I'm like, I have like an iron stomach. And so you, I can like almost count on two hands, probably the times I have in my life. Cause my body just like, doesn't figure it out. It doesn't solve its problems that way, but <laughs> I got a stomach bug and this was, this is not a story I'm going to go into much detail with, but I was taking the, uh, I had a really long commute from my sister's house. I was living with her for a couple months when I first moved back to DC and I was taking driving up 66 then getting on the metro all the way into dc so they got a, a stomach flu in my sister's house didn't know it thought it was food poisoning it turned out to be stomach flu so i was taking care of them oh. this befell me i was in WeWork in chinatown and it was like seven o'clock and i was like not feeling great but like when i don't feel great in my stomach nothing ever comes of it like i just like my body figures it out works it out mm-hmm. Two, you know two hours later i'm like normal again this wasn't one of those times and i suddenly became like like so like oh like so sick in my stomach and i was so far from home like 90 minutes had to get on the metro had to like go get my car then drive 30 more minutes like it was like an hour and a half commute and suddenly i was like walking through the pouring rain to get to the metro like unsure of what was going to happen i was like shivering this was like like a legit stomach terrible you know one of those two days stomach flus and it was just like this nightmarish i was on this metro had to get off the metro twice to go beg the people to let me in the bathroom to and I like never throw up. So it was just like very, very few times. And then when you're not like a, an often puker, you forget how terrible puking is. It's such an awful thing. It's just like, you can't, Oh, I'm not going to go into it, but we all know just the, the terrible, terrible, oh, terrible oh, is yeah. the puke. It's just like, ugh. and I'm lucky that I don't have to go through that very much, but but yeah, being a long way from home when you don't know how you're going to make it is not a fun feeling. So that's, yeah. that's I'm going to throw up just thinking about you drinking you who as like a 10 year old in a hot like I'm picturing you locked in a hot van with no crack in the window 
and your well, parents you, only left you with a yoo-hoo. There's so I'll tell you another you story. This is, is unrelated to, to vomiting. Um, ten years later, I was on a canoe with my buddy, and I had like made up with yoo-hoo, and we were out fishing on this canoe on this little reservoir, and um, you know canoes are famously unstable, right? <laughs> so I have my uh, I was like in my bathing suit. I think I had my t-shirt or something. So I had like my t-shirt my car keys and then like a four pack of you double fudge i'm like hey man i'm gonna get out of this i gotta i gotta piss i'm gonna jump out of this canoe piss in the water come back in okay i jump out as i go under the water i come back up do you know what i see <laughs> a capsized canoe <laughs> i jump out <laughs> the whole thing turns over <laughs> but the um the yoohoo i guess flipped over perfectly where it took my it was either my shirt or like my cargo shorts or whatever I was wearing before I put my bathing suit on. It took it and pinned it like a like a concrete brick to the bottom of the reservoir. So suddenly my car keys were now at the bottom and they're still, as far as I know, at the bottom of this reservoir pinned to the bottom of the seabed by a four pack of very cold and still delicious you who double fudge. So if you're in Harvard County, Maryland and you want to go find my old car keys to a car that doesn't exist uh, and some just pristine, cold, 10-year-old Yoohoo Double Fudge. It's there for you. Scavenger hunt. That's Ooh. awesome. Also, Hot Yoohoo Vomit is a great grunge band. I love their second album. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's their second album is much better than their debut. Right. Yeah, everybody else just wanted to be in on that first album, but no, the second album's where it's at. That's Absolutely. where you separate the true fans of the of the hot, the hot <laughs> Yoohoo Vomit yeah. <laughs> grunge band. Oh, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, I have to turn this off and go throw up. I'm going to throw up thinking about you. Well, let's go on a good note. So, um, Rick, what would you say is, uh, before we uh, ask you where people can find you on the web and all that stuff, where, what, what would you say that your number one favorite food would be? It's pizza. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to overthink it. Uh, it's, I can have pizza every day of the week and maybe in a few weeks I would need a day off. Like, and because there's different varieties, the different toppings, there's just, there's so much variety within the pizza that it's my go-to. I mean, probably number two at this point is most things barbecue related. I'm, one thing, by the way, one thing that's barbecue related, that is my way you can know that a restaurant is really good. If they pay attention to the hot link, that is a good way to know that the rest of it's going to be good because a lot of places will just kind of yada, yada, yada the hot link because it's the cheapest and it's, I would assume it's probably one of the least purchased, but if a place takes the time to do a really good hot link, that's when you know you have a good barbecue spot between that, the sides, the brisket, the burn ends. Uh, I choose pulled pork less than most. Uh, but it's not like it's bad, obviously. You can burn it's, out on pulled pork, I think. It's 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 like more common than everything else. So you're going to have that a lot. Right. I'm kind of burned out on pulled pork. Yeah. Yeah, and I just feel like there's so much people do with pulled pork and not enough variety in what they do in terms of brisket. But brisket is also brisket. So it's you don't have to do too much to it, and sometimes you don't want to screw it up. Just keep the simplicity of it. So, But pizza's number one, barbecue two, and then maybe like a burger three. So like that's that's my top that's my top three. You asked for one. I gave you three. No, well, that's fair. It's hard to pin it down to one anyway. Yeah. Um also why haven't you had Andrew Zimmern on your show yet? 
we haven't had any guests. And part of that was a logistical issue. But now that like the way Jay and I record where it makes it much more easy to have guests, I've got a Google doc sitting with guests that I want to have on. Jay's got some that he wants to get on. I think we're going to do that in the not too distant future. Because especially if this quarantine keeps going and everybody's new food experiences are limited mm-hmm. and you know we've done some fat hacks in terms of quarantine living, but you know, we're kind of running out just like everybody else of, you know, other stuff to do. There's only so many pick threes in the world that you can do over yeah. a certain period of time. So we might start getting some guests on. We've had some people that for a long time have said, Hey, when you guys start having guests, I want in. So we we've got a list, which is nice. So I know who I want the first guest to be, but I'm not going to reveal this because Jay and I have not spoken about it yet, but gotcha. there might is be there, some guests in the future. There is, it's the I'm fat podcast. Is there a, mm-hmm. is there a weight limit on the, on the guests? Like, uh, can you have it, a skinny, can you have somebody who's under like 170 pounds in the podcast? Seems like a, like a Dan Bernstein. Um, see, I, we are, we are always open to normies as well as fats. <laughs> so the thing is, if you have a fat, some people have a fat lifestyle and are blessed with a great, with just the, they don't get, they don't gain weight no, at, no matter what their metabolism is incredible. And some, for some of them, it's because they work out consistently. And for some of them, it's because they've won the genetic lottery. And for the ones that are just as lazy as me and eat just as much as me, but are skinny, I hate them. Yeah. I envy as them you should. and yeah. I hate them, but, uh, not necessarily a weight limit. It's either you have to have, you know, good fat experiences to talk about. Fat theory is a big thing, especially in terms of food. I know there's at least one person on my list who is a normie, but has real good thoughts on fat theory in terms of classification. So there's someone that I want to get on for, uh, for those purposes. So we leave it open to people because we are all inclusive. Like when people ask, it's a body positive podcast as much as anything. We don't rag on anybody. You know, if you want to get skinny, all right, cool. You can still listen to us. We may, you know, give you a little bit of the side eye, but we won't banish you completely. Mm-hmm. That's it's... your own choice. But just, you know, still know and still have those. Everybody has those things. Everybody can relate to the amount of things, foods that regardless of your diet or whatever you're trying to do, if you get an opportunity to have X, whatever X is for you, you're taking that opportunity. Or if you, there are people that are former fats that, that vicariously live through our experiences or normies that have, that just don't have our sensibilities, but love hearing about them. So we're all inclusive, but in terms of guests, you have to have some sort of fat quality to you. Yeah. If it sounds like the fact the, the fats community is very, is very accepting. Yeah, very much. I mean, we're not that picky food people, <laughs> otherwise, whatever. <laughs> Well, yeah, Absolutely. I listened to uh, I listened to Andrew Zimmern on Guy Kawasaki's podcast. Mm-hmm. It was really, you know, I've watched his show a ton when I was younger. And it's just a cool, uh, not pushing him on you. I'm just saying that's a cool, yeah. it was a cool conversation. And he's an interesting guy. It was interesting just to hear some of his story behind the, you know, bizarre foods thing. But uh, yeah, he's much more adventurous than I could be. Like, I'm pretty much a wimp when it comes to, you know, like really out there stuff food wise. You're not a big eating testicles kind of guy. Not particularly. Raw hearts. So, no, no. To each each their own, you know, whatever. Yeah, right. And like the uh, weird thing for me is 
I don't know why I've never, I have had such a hard time finding any seafood that I like. I don't know mm. if it's because of growing up in the Midwest and it's just not as good a quality food. Maybe if I went to, maybe if I came and visited you, that would probably be a better place to maybe give it another spin. But like out here, yeah. like I just have a hard time finding Fish smells anything I like. not good for anybody. Yeah. 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 There's a great place. Well, it's, I think it's like the third busiest restaurant in America and we'll see. I hope to God they open back up. It's called old Epic grill. It's mm -hmm. right next to the white house. They do uh, like seafood happy hour every from like 11 PM to, or maybe it's like 10 PM to close every night and great oysters. But again, it's like, you're right. It's, it's super like right out of the sea, very fresh. And um, so, yeah, I think that the Midwest experience you've described is accurate. So where can people follow up with you? Uh, listen to obviously the fact I'm fat podcast basketball camp, but where else can people find you on the, on the web, Rick? Uh, at Rick C camp on Twitter, same on Instagram. I'm not that active on Instagram, although I've been trying to get better. So one thing I'm doing that is really probably falls under quarantine hobbies. That is incredibly lame. Uh, have you guys been following what Ricky O'Donnell is doing with uh, Western Illinois basketball? No, I saw, I saw a tweet. I said, were you, did you tweet at him recently or just, yeah, I, I saw something, something come through my feed about yeah. that. Okay. So Ricky O'Donnell is a really good basketball writer. He, uh, he's furloughed at the moment with SB nation. He's their basketball, uh, college and NBA basketball editor. And he also writes. So what he's been doing in his time being furloughed is he took NCAA college basketball 2k8 which is the last college basketball game that was made. I guess it's a game he's played a ton before. And he's trying to take one of the, like, when you start a legacy as a coach, you have to start with one of the 40 crappiest teams. And he doesn't play the games. All he does is recruit, set the rotations, and all the, you know, all the preseason settings. And he simulates the season. And the goal was to make Western Illinois win a national championship. So he writes about every single season and the recruiting process and the games and big wins, losses, all that kind of stuff. And he made it through and spoiler alert in year eight, he ends up winning a national championship and there it got, he ended up streaming it on Twitch and it did really well. Well, I'm just bored. So I'm doing the same thing. I'm not doing any of the writing or anything like that, but on my Instagram story, I'll just post. All right. I got the conference tournament. Here's my record. All right. I'm going to the NCAAs. And right now I'm sitting in, year 11 because it only takes like an hour and change to sim go through an entire season of simulation so i'm in year 11 not as good at, as ricky at this i'm in the sweet 16 for the first time with uc riverside taking on number one seeded duke team i'm a 12 seed dangerous 12 seed as always always so you can keep up on that because i know it sounds riveting to everybody <laughs> in my in my uh in my instagram story so at Rixie camp there as well. Uh, those are my, those are my main places. People on uh, Facebook as well. The I'm fat podcast has a Facebook page. Uh, basketball camp does not because quite frankly, I don't think I earned one yet. I've still got a lot of work to do with that one. I think part of what's exciting and I'm sure you guys as well, you know, with the podcast is just figuring out what you want it to be yeah. and kind of learning on the fly and adjusting as you go. So I'm still learning that I'm only four or five episodes into basketball camp. I love what I'm doing. I, I enjoy it. I hope people that listen are enjoying it, but I'm also just trying to figure it out, figure out how I want it to sound, you know, what type of, of basketball content that I really want in there. It's part bulls, part NBA. Cause 
I think especially in the Chicago area, we get so locally focused that there's right. so much great basketball out there outside of whatever the hell the bulls have been lately that people need to know about that. So when I, when I feel like I'm maybe at a point where I have a better idea of what I am, I'll start up, I'll start that up as well. But just, I update everything on Twitter at Rixie camp for that. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm a pretty basic guy in that regard. I'm not super, I'm not big on doing anything on Twitch or so no TikToks, no I don't TikToks. Have, I don't even have a TikTok account at this all point. All the weird dances, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm your basic Chicago, you know, Chicago area white mid thirties guy. That's pretty much where I'm at. All right, fair enough. Bobby, you want to send us out? Rick, we appreciate it. Uh, check out the podcast. Uh, I'm Fat Podcast, Basketball Camp Podcasts, and uh, tune in Friday. Do we have a guest yet, Friday, Dan? No, it's me and you. Oh, we're gonna we're Go, we're gonna go hard in the paint uh, on Friday, but join us yeah. Friday, nine a.m. So Eastern. Thanks, Rick. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, we'll see you next week on the Morning Brushback Podcast. <laughs>